We pray to you, our God of comfort, to comfort those who have lost family and friends. God, allow them to rest in your peace that even in the pain of loss, they might find grace and mercy to help. Father, we've experienced physical pain. Our bodies are broken. They don't work the way we would like them to work. And that leaves us with pain, fatigue. We get discouraged when things don't, when our bodies don't work like we would expect them to. And so we pray specifically, God, for those who deal with chronic pain, who deal with pain levels every day that alters their lives, that restricts what they're able to do, how they would like to live. And we, we pray for not only relief from pain, but more importantly, God, that they would not grow discouraged. Father, we encourage them. We, we ask that you would encourage them with your grace and your mercy. Father, we pray as well for those who are suffering with diseases. We know people who are fighting cancer, dealing with the effects not only of that disease, but also medicine that's been prescribed to fight that disease is causing problems as well. And Father, we know people who deal with autoimmune diseases, all types of things that they, they look fine on the outside, but we know on the inside their body is not functioning right. And we pray for them as they struggle with these unseen physical hurts every day. We've experienced other diseases, sicknesses, and we, we've, taken, we've taken medications. We've not eaten certain foods. We've tried to live a certain way and operate a certain way. But ultimately, those physical conditions continue to be aggravated. And so, Father, we pray for all those we know who are fighting cancer, who are battling autoimmune diseases, heart and lung problems, back problems, any other myriad of physical condition that's restricting the way people are able to live. We ask for your healing in their lives, and we ask that you sustain them. Sustain them by your grace and your mercy. Father, we know that it's not only our bodies that are broken, but our minds as well. And so we pray for those who are dealing with all kinds of mental health problems, whether it's anxiety, depression, bipolar, any others that we know people are dealing with and facing. We have some who struggle with fears that this leave them debilitated. We have others who struggle and, and fight to just even get out of bed dealing with depression, and they, they want to give in to that. We, we know of people who fight every day suicidal thoughts, and so we pray for them. That, God, you would give them peace for the anxious, joy for the depressed, and meaning and purpose for the suicidal. We pray for healing of our minds and continued perseverance in our lives by your grace and your mercy. Father, there are so many things that we could pray for so much suffering that we've experienced in our church, so much suffering we've experienced in our lives. But we finish our prayer with this, God. Help us. Help us to be reminded this evening through your word, through Romans chapter 8, that while our suffering is real and it is painful, there is a purpose to it. And in your good purpose, God, let us remember that our path to glory is the same path that our Savior Jesus, who suffered on the cross before us, and that he would wear, that he would suffer the cross before he wore a crown. Help us to remember that. Help us to be reminded of that. Let us look with expectation and hope to our future glory, knowing that each minute of painful suffering right now is worth it when we compare it to the eternal glory that's waiting for us, that will be revealed to us. Father, we pray these things in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Make your way to Romans 8.
Again, I mentioned we're going to be just in one verse this evening, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This topic of suffering is relevant for us, as we've discussed already a little bit, because we have faced suffering in our lives. So many of us have suffered in different ways that it's, it's important for us to talk about that. It's important for us to, to deal with the topic. And how do we think through it in a biblical manner, in a way that is, that is filled with and guided by the gospel and scripture? We prayed a minute ago, and that, and that prayer was not simply some abstract thing about how certain people struggle and fight suffering in this world, but it's real examples, real things, real, real things that we've dealt with as a church and are dealing with as a church. So it's relevant for us because it's experiences that we have, and if we aren't guided by Scripture, those experiences will take over our lives and we won't be able to navigate them the way that we ought to and the way that we should. There's real suffering that's happened in this room to real people that are sitting in this room or watching online. And so our goal for tonight is to simply dive into this idea of suffering and hopefully we walk away with a, a deeper and a richer understanding of our suffering. A deeper and a richer understanding of our suffering that will ultimately result in us growing in our faith, us finding joy in the midst of suffering, and ultimately looking to a future hope and a future glory that we will one day have way better than anything we could ever have on this earth. So a few things I want to lay out before we get into Romans chapter 8, because I don't have time. They limit me with time. I'm down to 42 minutes I don't have time to cover everything, so a couple of quick things just to review before we get into the actual text of Romans 8. I believe the Bible teaches that all suffering we experience, all suffering we see in this world, every instance of, of pain and suffering is a result of sin. There is hurt and there is pain in our lives and in this world because Adam sinned. Romans 5 is clear about that. We've already talked about that. Through one man, sin entered the world. And it's through that sin that we experience the physical pain, the emotional pain, the mental struggles, the different physical things we go through, as well as even grieving the loss of people that we love. That is all there because of what Adam did. But I also believe that the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. That is, he is in control. He has full authority over all things. And that includes suffering. God's not surprised when suffering occurs in our lives, and God's not surprised when suffering occurs in the world. And in some instances, God even directs and guides suffering that happens in this world and in our lives for his good purposes. We'll cover that at the end of Romans 8 when we get to 28 and 29. So those two things are true. There is sin in this world that has caused the suffering that we experience, but there is a sovereign God who has full authority over all of those things. And when we get to Romans 8, verse 18 specifically, it's part of a larger paragraph where Paul's actually going to start talking about this suffering in a global full context. He's going to bring up things about the earth groaning in pain. He's going to bring up things about how the whole world, all of creation is eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God, eagerly longing for this future hope. 
So the world is broken. And within the context of the world being broken, we find ourselves there. There have been messages preached in the past that talk about this this broken in-between that we live in. We live in this time where there's an expectant hope for the future, but now we live in this place that's broken, it's marred. It doesn't work. The world doesn't work the way we would want it to work. And so it's appropriate for us then to look specifically, not, not at the full global picture, I'll let Chris do that next week, but look specifically at our suffering because we're living in it. We live in this broken world. We deal with this broken world. And this broken world impacts us because we're broken. We're broken because of our own sin. We're broken because of the sinful world we live in. And so we have to deal with it personally to fully grasp and understand the full picture of what Paul's going to get at in the following verses when he talks about suffering on a global larger scale. So our focus tonight is not on why suffering exists or is God sovereign over suffering, but instead we want to look at the personal nature of suffering. Specifically with these ideas in mind, what does suffering have to do with our identity in Christ? And what does our perseverance through suffering look like within this broader global understanding of suffering that we deal with individually? You know, we we talk about this global, broader, larger context of suffering. From the time that I started speaking to the time that I will finish speaking, there will be 6,000 people who will die in this world. 200 people will learn that they have been diagnosed with cancer. 100 women will become victims of domestic abuse. Countless children will go without a meal and untold numbers will inch closer and closer to suicide as a way to end their suffering. This is the world we live in. But for us, when we think of it as a personal level, it's not a statistic. It's reality. It's the life we deal with. It's the things that we face every single day, whether they're physical or mental struggles, whether it's grief from the loss of a person that we love or hunger because we can't afford a meal. These are the things that we deal with every day. So they're not statistics for us. Yes, they're statistics on a a large scale, but they are real for us. That's what we're dealing with every single day. In the context of Romans, Paul is writing chapter 8, and he's just described that in the few chapters before this, how do we navigate this justified life? He talks about that in chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're now justified by faith, so we have peace with God. Chapter 6 gets into these ideas of, well, there's Grace is a great thing, so why don't we just continue to sin so that grace would be more in our lives, so we would receive more of that grace. And Paul talks about that. In chapter 7, there's this tension, there's this wrestle. Well, I want to do the things I don't want to do, and I do the things that I'm not supposed to do, and what does this, what does this wrestling look like? What's this tension look like in our lives? And then he comes to chapter 8, and I think what Paul's doing throughout the entire chapter, and many would describe it as the greatest chapter in all of the Bible— I think what Paul's doing here is actually laying out a framework for now that we are justified, here's how we can not just live that out, but be assured of it. He wants his readers to walk away knowing one main theme, and we'll see it at the very end of the book, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And there are so many aspects and details of that that he's walking through in Romans 8. And I think when he comes to suffering, 
He's trying to do that same thing. He's trying to encourage us. He's trying to assure us that even suffering does not separate us from the love of God. And we can hear that and we can read it, but when we think about it, when we feel it, when we're in the midst of suffering, that's when the problems come up. We begin to question whether that's a reality because when things hurt, when things go wrong, when suffering comes into our lives, it feels like we're barely hanging on. It's like that picture in in a movie. Most action pictures have this scene where somebody begins to either fall out of a building or fall off of a cliff. And the main character, usually the main good guy, you know, he reaches out his hand and he grabs his, his hand. His friend is hanging from the, from the end of this cliff and he's pulling with all of his might trying to pull him up. And they usually have the close-up, the zoomed-in shot of the hands and they're slipping a little bit. You can see the, the sweat pouring down their hands a bit. And depending on where we're at in the movie and what the plot needs, either the person slips through their hand and they fall or there's enough strength and he pulls them over. We've all seen that scene. If you've ever seen any action movie, that's the scene. We have a similar scene that plays out in our lives when we encounter suffering. Because even though we read Romans 8 and all of the truths and all of the beauty there, what we feel is that we're barely hanging on. That we're barely, we're hanging off the side of this cliff and we're just clinging on to Jesus as hard as we possibly can. But we just feel our hands slipping and slipping. And, and eventually we just feel like we think we're going to slip through Jesus' fingers. That's how we feel. But that picture and that feeling is not reality. The reality is more like what Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, that when we we pass through the waters, he'll be with us. When we walk through the fire, we will not be overwhelmed. We will not be burned. Because we aren't slipping through Jesus' hands. It's in the moment of our suffering where Jesus is carrying us. We aren't slipping through Jesus' fingers. Instead, we are resting in Christ. And as we persevere in our suffering, what we're doing is we're testifying to that reality. We're testifying to the reality of the fact that we are being held by Christ. That we are Christ and Christ is ours. And because of that, we have a future hope of glory. We have purpose and meaning in our suffering. And so... Our desire tonight, as we look at verse 18, and I think Paul's goal, is to say, as we endure suffering with our faith intact, what we will find is ultimately joy. We will find joy in the middle of our sorrow. And to do this, we have to have a proper perspective of suffering. We have to have a proper perspective of ourselves. So what I'm going to walk through is three perspectives that we should have when we think about suffering and we think of our own lives. First perspective to consider, present suffering is real and it is meaningful. Let's read the verse, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's not surprised that suffering is a part of life. He doesn't diminish our suffering. He acknowledges the presence of suffering and in fact, he anticipates it. He doesn't question, he doesn't say, if suffering will come upon you at this present time. No, it's, it's just a, a foregone conclusion for him. Suffering will happen. 
And suffering will be a part of our lives. It's, again, an unfortunate reality that, that sin has brought pain into this world, pain into our lives. And, and so Paul doesn't say, I consider the suffering of this present time to be insignificant, so you should just ignore it. He doesn't say that. Instead, what Paul does is he frames our suffering within the proper context, with a proper mindset. You know, every worldview out there, whether they're religious or irreligious, Christian or non-Christian, deals with suffering. They have to. They have to try to understand and deal with suffering in a particular way. And there are three really main ways that other, I would say, non-Christian viewpoints try to deal with and try to handle suffering. First worldview says this, suffering is an inevitable part of life, and I just need to get through it. This is almost like the fatalist. Suffering is just going to happen. It's bad luck. It's random. If bad things happen to me, it just is what it is. I need to just get through it. And if I can get through it at the end of the day, that's good. Don't find any purpose in it. Don't find any meaning in it. Just get through it as quickly as you can. Just bad luck. Everybody deals with bad luck sometimes. Second worldview on suffering would say, I must have done something wrong. And if I fix myself, if I fix something in my life, then the suffering will end. The suffering will go away. This is karma. This is you do something wrong, so you get bad results. This, this thinking and this mindset would say, if I had just been nicer, if I had just paid it forward a little bit more, if I had just done better things to people in my life, done more good things for people, then suffering wouldn't come my way. So this is the person that when suffering does come, what they try to do is just evaluate everything in their lives and try to fix it. They can just fix it, then the suffering will go away. But when suffering does happen and they begin to explore what they did to deserve it, what they'll ultimately find is that they don't have an answer. There's nothing they can do to just reverse what's happened to them. Third worldview to consider says this, as much as I am able, I must avoid suffering at all costs. Generally, this is the perspective of the secularist. Suffering is just seen as an interruption to life. Life is supposed to be enjoyed. Life is supposed to be something that we have fun with. And so when suffering comes, it's just an interruption. There's no, we don't need to learn anything from it. There's no meaning in it. There's no purpose to it. It's just an interruption to life. So avoid it at all costs. Whatever you can do, avoid it. Get it over with and just get back to the fun parts of life. And as we think about those different worldviews, we probably resonate with them at some level. We probably resonate at some level because when we think of suffering, we realize we don't control suffering. It does sometimes seem that it's random. We struggle with whether or not the suffering we're enduring is actually a result of God punishing us. And I don't know anybody who actually wants to go through suffering, who wants to endure it. No one's sitting there like, yes, I get to, I get to suffer. No, nobody wants to go through it. It's just the reality of our lives. And so we resonate with those things, but ultimately all of those worldviews and all those perspectives of suffering fall short of what the Bible and what a Christian worldview would say. Because suffering is hard and it is real. And we shouldn't ignore it and we shouldn't trivialize it. 
We shouldn't diminish it. We shouldn't chalk it up to bad luck. Paul doesn't do that. What he does instead is he actually connects it to faith. So the verse 18, you see the word consider. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul uses that word consider a handful of times, about three or four, maybe five times in Romans. And each one of those instances, Paul actually connects this word to faith. Probably the best example of it is Romans chapter 4, when he's talking about Abraham, he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The word counted, the word considered, same word. It was considered to Abraham as righteousness. So what Paul's actually saying in verse 18, and I think we can rightly say this, that Paul considered or he realized in faith or through faith that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Because unlike fatalism, suffering is not simply to be endured. Unlike karma, suffering is not punishment for bad actions. And unlike secularism, suffering is not just something to be avoided. Rather, when understood properly, suffering is actually connected to our faith. And so there, it's within that framework, it's within that context, when we, when we take suffering and connect it to our faith, that's where we find meaning and purpose to our suffering. And so our perspective is different than those other worldviews. Our perspective is different than the fatalist or the, the person who believes in karma or the secularist. It's different than them because it's connected to our faith. Because we understand that in suffering, God is doing something. He's growing us. Because God's desire is to grow our faith and for us to persevere in that faith. And one of the tools God uses to do that is suffering. And God's intention and his, the intended result of suffering in our lives is ultimately for our faith to grow. And that in the middle of our suffering, we would come to him and there we would find joy and there we would find satisfaction in our lives. Other worldviews leave us sitting in life, even the fun parts of life, just simply anxious waiting for suffering to come, waiting for pain, waiting for sadness. But Christianity, the gospel, it has us sitting in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that sadness, and instead finding joy. That's the difference between the worldview that's void of Christianity and the worldview that is based on the Bible. One leaves us anxious, waiting for hurts and waiting for pains, and the other leaves us sitting in the midst of pain and saying, I'm still joyful. Paul says that he is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And when we face suffering with the right mindset, we dive deeper into joy and into love that we can only get from God. I mentioned this earlier, but we're going to get to this at the end of Romans chapter 8. All things work together for our good. Commonly misunderstood verse. And that doesn't mean that our circumstances may improve. We might still battle daily physical pain. We fight invasive thoughts. We're sad when we're reminded that of family we've lost. We are sorrowful, but we know that God is doing something. We know that God is doing something with us and with our faith. And so as we suffer, what we do is we find strength and joy and hope rooted in and founded in God. Few thoughts to address, and then we'll move on to the second point. 
First, first thing, don't assume that suffering is punishment from God. It's so easy to fall into that. So easy to fall into this trap where we assume that the bad things that are happening to us are a result of a God who's angry with us. While suffering is the means through which God grows our faith, God is not in heaven just angry and throwing down suffering. If you've ever seen the Oprah clip where she's like handing out cars to people, like you get a car, you get a car, you get a That's not God. God's not sitting there like you get suffering and you get suffering. That's not God. It's not how he's operating. He's not angry with us, just handing out suffering with no purpose and no meaning. That being said, suffering can happen in our lives because we've done wrong. Because we are in sinful habits and sinful behaviors, suffering can take place, but it's not punishment from God. That's the difference. A lot of times we think that's punishment from God. It's not punishment because God's actual desire is for us to be in relationship, in communion with him. Why? Because he knows that being in that relationship with him is the best place we could possibly be. And so his, the suffering we experience because of our sin is actually a means of mercy to draw us back to him, not to punish us for what we've done. It's a very clear distinction that we need to keep in mind, that we need to have. Because otherwise, when we think of suffering in our lives, we think of it as God hurting me. When in reality, it's God saying, no, just come back to me. Because what you'll find is you'll find mercy and grace and help and love. Second thing to consider, do not try to find some explainable reasoned purpose for our suffering. You know, I was talking with Elizabeth about this this past week. Um, and she, she was mentioning that this was something that she was learning through the book that I think they're going through for the women's Bible study. That if we turn suffering into this pursuit of an explanation, we need to find a reason why this suffering is happening in our lives. That what we actually do is we take that reason and that explanation and the pursuit of that as actually what's driving us and actually what's prominent in our lives. That now the, pers- the, the thing we need to learn about suffering is whatever this reason why it happened or this earthly explanation for why it happened. And so our pursuit is that and it's not God. But the purpose of our suffering is not figuring out why it happened or some reason why it happened. Our pursuit in suffering is greater faith in a loving God. The purpose of our suffering is not to find some reason or some explanation, but it's to grow in our faith and grow in our faith in a loving God. It's so easy for us to mix all this stuff up. But ultimately, we shouldn't try to find some earthly human reason or explanation for why this is happening and that be the ultimate thing. And when we find that, then we've, then we've overcome suffering. Then we've achieved some state in suffering where we understand it better now. If that's our ultimate pursuit, then we've missed the mark of why, then we missed the purpose, we've missed the meaning behind our suffering. Because the ultimate pursuit of our suffering is growing in our faith in a loving God. Third thing before we get to our second main point, don't ignore or devalue what you're going through. 
There's a huge temptation to try to hide our hurts and hide our suffering because we don't want to be perceived as a downer. We don't want to be perceived as someone who's just complaining all the time, making others feel sad, bringing down the room. And I can sympathize with that. I really can. Because when we talk about the things that we're dealing with, when we talk about our hurts, when we talk about our suffering, it makes us vulnerable. It opens us up to people who might not respond well. The answer, though, to that is not simply to ignore or downplay our suffering. The answer is actually to acknowledge our hurts and entrust those to God and to people that we can trust. Hopefully that happens within your GCC. Hopefully that happens within another person in this church that you can be a part of, that you're close with, that you can share your sufferings with, and they will respond in a good way. But the answer to what we're going through is not just simply to push it down and ignore it, but it's to actually open it up and expose it and share it so that people can weep with us who weep. If you need some motivation in this, consider Jesus. You say, I I just don't want to be a downer. I don't want to talk about all the bad things that are happening in my life. Jesus is described as a man of sorrows. The Bible says that he was acquainted with grief. He wept when he lost someone he loved. But the difference with Jesus was he wasn't absorbed with himself. Because that is, that is something we need to be careful of. If we're constantly talking about all the bad things going on in our lives, there is a, there's a tipping point where we can all of a sudden just be so self-absorbed that everything needs to be about me. And so our suffering is therefore self-centered, and it's not God-centered. When we face suffering and we face hurts and pains in our lives, ultimately the tears that we shed should lead us to joy in Christ. And if that's not happening, then maybe it is a time for us to take a step back and we we see with fresh eyes our suffering is not just about me, but it is about God. So we're not walking through our suffering with a self-centered perspective. That being said, second main point. First one we dealt with, present suffering is real and it's meaningful. Second one, our path to future glory will happen through suffering. Verse 17 says that we are heirs with God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. I've already referenced this, but the Old Testament describes Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Isaiah actually talks of him as the suffering servant. The perfect son of God, he gives up heaven. He comes down to a broken world. And just as we celebrated with Advent, he's born into this broken world. He grows up understanding the different hurts and pains and sufferings that we experience. He knows what it feels like to lose someone he loves. He knows what it feels like to be in physical pain. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tired. He knows what it feels like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to have no place to sleep. And he knows far greater than any of us could ever know physical, emotional, and spiritual pain because he endured it on the cross. Suffering is a part of our lives and our path to future glory because suffering really is at the heart of the gospel. Suffering is at the core of Christianity. 
Jesus had to suffer, and he had to suffer and die because without a suffering Jesus, he would never put an end to death. He wouldn't have vindicated God's righteousness and justice, and he never would have been exalted as king. Philippians 2 tells us that it's after, after Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross that God exalted him. That he exalted him and it says he gives him a name that's above every name, that every knee will bow to him. That doesn't happen if Jesus doesn't suffer. So the very core of the gospel, the very core of our Christianity is marked by suffering. And Jesus is the ultimate sufferer. And it's only in him that we find a perfect God who would become a loving savior. We've talked about this before. Other religions have a God who would never give of himself to sacrifice himself for his people. It doesn't happen in other religions. The Bible is clear, though. We have a God who gives of himself, sacrificed himself on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's only in the cross where we see both the holiness and the love of God meet and be fulfilled at the same time. And Jesus has to suffer because it's where that holiness and love meet is where he is found, and it's ultimately where we find life. Our lives are miserable if Jesus never suffered on the cross. We have no hope for future glory if Jesus doesn't suffer on the cross. If we were thinking of the worst possible suffering anyone could ever endure, inevitably we would come back to hell. Hell would be the worst possible suffering a person could face. And the worst, the most painful aspect of hell is not the physical or emotional pain that people will endure when they are in hell, but it is that all they know of God is wrath. Think about that. The person in hell, the only attribute of God that they know of is wrath. People say that in hell you are separated from God, but that's not true fully. God's present. It's just his grace and his mercy isn't. If all we knew of God was his wrath, whatever suffering we face now was nothing compared to an eternity under that wrath. But the truth is Jesus did suffer, the ultimate sufferer. First Peter 4 tells us that he suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. We no longer face wrath, but we find grace. Our future is no longer hell, but our future is heaven. Jesus suffered on a cross so that we would not have to face a holy and a just God with nothing but our own righteousness, but instead we can face a holy and a just God with his righteousness. And there we find love. The righteous one gave up his life for the unrighteous. And if we didn't have that love, the pains and the hurts of this life would be unbearable, completely unbearable. Suffering would be too much to handle if we didn't have a certainty that God is for us and that he's with us. And now, just as Jesus went through this path of suffering 
Verse 17 says that we must suffer with him. Jesus went to the cross before he received the crown. Just as Jesus went through this path of suffering, we go through that same path. And in that, we identify with our suffering king. We identify with Christ through every moment of suffering we experience. It doesn't matter if it's a headache or it's a disease, loss of a pet, loss of a parent, whether it's chronic pain and empty bank account. It doesn't matter the intensity or the severity or the significance of our suffering. If it is endured with faith, for your good and for God's glory, you are identifying with Christ in the midst of your suffering. And you are identifying with Christ as his child and saying and testifying to the fact that you are his, Christ is yours, and that you are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's what awaits us as we endure suffering. And it is wonderful to know that the only suffering that could really destroy us, separation from God, the wrath of God, the only true suffering that could destroy us Jesus took that suffering on himself. What a wonderful thing to know. That every instance of suffering that comes into our lives is not there to harm us, but it's actually there to turn us into something beautiful. It's there to to press us, the pressures of suffering pushing in on us. And as we persevere in our faith and we live out this example Christ set before us, we find that all the promises of God, finding their yes in Jesus, all that God has promised us, we have. And we can face suffering knowing that it is meaningful and it, it identifies us with Jesus and that we won't face ultimate suffering. Jesus already endured the wrath of God for us. Our third point, and we'll finish up, Our future glory is worth every moment of our present suffering. Yeah, when we're in the middle of suffering, it's it's hard to believe what Paul is actually saying here. It feels right to consider our present suffering, the hurts we experience now, to be worth more than anything in this world. It's the crisis that's right in front of us, and, and we feel like it demands all of our attention. We feel like it demands all of our energy. We feel like it demands all of our focus and our strength because we just need to get out of this. And if we can't get out of it, we are discouraged. We are angry. We are resentful at even people in our lives who we feel have caused us suffering or we're resentful to God because he's allowed this thing in my life. That mindset sees our suffering and says it's the most important thing. And we even begin to compare our suffering not against eternal glory, but against what other people are suffering. We begin to turn our suffering and we say, you know, I don't know what that person's complaining about because my life's a lot harder than theirs. You know, everybody's paying attention to this person and the things they're dealing with, but what about what I'm dealing with? And when we elevate our suffering to the highest level and what's worth the most in our lives, what we're in effect saying is that our suffering is worse than what Jesus endured. The glory that is to be revealed to us, verse 18 says, it is wrapped up in and tied together to the glory that Jesus received through the cross. So when we suffer, 
We participate in his suffering and we are glorified with him. Yet when we live like our suffering is the end of life and there is no hope and our suffering is worth more than anything else in this world, we say that what Christ has done for us and the glory that he's prepared for us is not worth it. What we're essentially saying is that if we could end our present suffering, the thing we're enduring right now, but it means no Jesus and it means no glory, then we're good with that. That is not the place to be. Because what Paul says in verse 18 is that the present sufferings of this time are not worth comparing to future glory that will be revealed to us. The hard truth to hear when we suffer is that every moment of our suffering is worth it. Every minute of physical pain, every tear we've shed because our parent, our grandparent, or our friend has died, every uncertainty we felt when the doctor said, I'm sorry, but you have this disease, every fear you had when the call came about the car accident, every lost night of sleep because your thoughts kept you in a panic at night, every struggle through life that has made you feel worthless and beaten down, every one of those is worth it. Because as we persevere in faith, we have an eternal hope for a glory that will be revealed to us. Our future glory is no more pain, no more disease. Our bodies will be restored. We will no longer feel sorrow. We will no longer feel grief when we lose someone. We will no longer lose someone we love. No more tears. The shame we feel about our mental health problems will be gone because our minds will be fully restored. We will be glorified, and above all, we will be glorified with him, our king, our suffering savior, the one who suffered so that we would not face that ultimate suffering, because the greatest glory we will experience is being with him forever. So we still grieve our losses, we still face our pains, we still suffer, but if you are a Christian, you have a hope. You have a hope that as we persevere in that suffering, we will find meaning and purpose in that. As we identify with Christ, he is preparing for us glory worth far greater than anything we would endure today. One element of future glory is that we get to one day eat a meal with our suffering king. One day we get to eat a meal with our suffering king and communion that we do every week is a picture of that. It's a picture of Christ who has suffered and sacrificed himself for us, but it's also a picture of looking forward to a future hope, to a future time when we get to eat a meal with him. You know, it's a privilege to get to take communion together. We're going to do that shortly. It's a privilege to take communion together with all of you because it points us back to the unity we have in Christ and the cross, but it also points us forward that one day, those of us who are in Christ, who are in this room, who are going to take communion together, we're going to be doing this one time in the future with Jesus in our presence. And we'll get to not only enjoy each other now in taking communion and unity with one another, but we can one day hope for the moment where all of us are together 
in perfect harmony, in perfect unity, with a perfect Savior. Jesus and what he did for us is why we celebrate communion. His sacrifice on our behalf and pointing to the time that one day, a foreshadowing that we will all be joined together with all of us in this room who have trusted in Christ and people from every tribe, nation, and tongue all gathered together with one purpose, with one voice to glorify God, glorify our Savior, and eat a meal with Him. So we are going to take communion this evening. All of us who wish to participate in communion are welcome. Um, As a reminder, communion is a time for those who have trusted in Christ. So if you were to say, that's not me, I, I haven't trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, we would just invite you and ask you, don't take. Simply because we wouldn't want you to celebrate something that you don't truly believe. But if that is you, if you, if you don't know that you are a believer, we would invite you to come and talk to us. Talk to myself, talk to Chris, talk to someone about your faith and about the gospel. Maybe for the first time you have trusted in Christ this evening, we would invite you to take communion with us for the first time. We would be overjoyed to hear your story of how you came to faith.